Buying a house can feel like you're going 200 miles per hour in bumper-to-bumper traffic with a dirty windshield and the sun in your eyes. Ruoff Mortgage has the technology, expert staff, and resources to simplify the process while speeding up the time it takes to get clear to close. So while getting a loan can seem intimidating, Ruoff Mortgage will have you opening the door to your new home fast and stress-free. Visit Ruoff.com to learn more. That's Ruoff.com. This NASCAR season, every member of the Toyota Racing Team is doing their part to take the trophy home. Like 6th grader Melissa Kowalski, who changes true to true X on every true-false quiz she takes. All my teachers are Martin Truex Jr. fans now. Keep up the great work, Melissa. To accomplish greater things this year, everyone plays a part. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. The following is a production of the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. The Motor Racing Network presents NASCAR Live. Could we be seeing two first-time winners in the NASCAR Cup Series to kick off the season? It was Michael McDowell winning the Daytona 500 one week ago. And here comes Christopher Bell out of turn 14. Checkered flag is waving at the start-finish line. And Christopher Bell is a winner in the NASCAR Cup Series. He'll take the O'Reilly Auto Parts 253 at the World Center of Racing. NASCAR Live is brought to you by Whelan Engineering, a global leader in the emergency warning industry. Trusted to perform since 1952 by Xfinity XFi. Internet that's more than just fast. Xfinity, proud premier partner of NASCAR. And by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network. Blue Emu is family owned and manufactured here in America. It works fast and you won't stink. From the MRN Studios in Concord, North Carolina, here is your host, Mike Bagley. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of NASCAR Live here on the Motor Racing Network. Mike Bagley and the entire MRN crew here with you as we go into recap mode, recapping the 2021 NASCAR season. And in this show, we're going to give you part one of our top 10 stories of 2021. We're going to cover five topics on today's show. And we're going to be joined by Motor Racing Network voices that you hear each and every week over the course of the race season. Jeff Striegel is going to stop by. Alex Hayden will be here. Kim Kuhn, Dave Moody, Steve Post, Kurt Becker, and NASCAR Hall of Famer Rusty Wallace will all stop by. And speaking of stopping by, as he does each and every week on NASCAR Live, let's get caught up on the latest happenings in the world of NASCAR. We bring in Kyle Rickey with the checking of those headlines. Hello, Kyle. Mike, even though we are five weeks into the NASCAR offseason, that has not slowed many of the sport's top stars in taking to different types of racing. The most recent NASCAR Camping World Truck Series winner Chandler Smith won the season finale at Phoenix last month and recently renewed with his Kyle Busch Motorsports team. Last Sunday, Smith bested a 37-car field in the 54th running of the Snowball Derby Super Late Model Race in Florida. Smith held off former West Series champion Derek Thorne. NASCAR Cup Series regular and former modified champion Ryan Priest came home fourth, while current Joe Gibbs Racing driver Eric Jones finished 10th. Elsewhere, Chase Elliott made his Nitro Rallycross debut over the weekend in North Florida, finishing second after contact with Tanner Faust on the last lap that was deemed intentional. And Richard Childress racing drivers Austin Dillon, Tyler Reddick, and Kaz Grala 
won an eight-hour World Racing League endurance race at the Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas. In sponsorship news, Fasenal has announced an expansion with Roush Fenway Keslowski Racing for 2022. The company had previously announced that they would be returning to Chris Busher's number 17 car, and this week expanded their partnership to include Brad Keslowski's number six for multiple races. And 2021 NASCAR Cup Series champion Kyle Larson is heading to Abu Dhabi for this weekend's Formula One championship race at the Yas Marina. Larson says there are no plans to test a car, but he does hope to establish some relationships while there. I don't know. I'm really just going as a fan right now, and, and I'm hoping, yes, I hope I can meet you know drivers, you know, team managers, stuff like that, and just meet as many people as I can um, and just kind of enjoy the whole experience. I wish I could get there sooner, um, but I'm only going to be able to go there for the race and then uh, you know, hang out in Dubai the rest of the time. For more news, see MRN.com. Mike? Thank you, Kyle. Coming up, we dive in to the top 10 stories of 2021. NASCAR season is here, and everyone on the Toyota racing team is doing their part to perform at the highest level. From driver Ty Gibbs to amateur musician Russell Viper, who's working on the perfect pre-race pump-up track for the team. Start those cameras up! Yeah! To accomplish greater things this year, everyone plays a part. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Before the 2021 season even started, we knew there would be new tracks NASCAR would be visiting. Let's kick off our top 10 story discussion with new tracks and places we visited for the first time or visited again for the first time in a long time. Kim Kuhn and Jason Toy join us. Kim, is there one track that you think grabbed the most attention and the most anticipation? That, that's hard for me. I think they all in their own right had, you know, things that made headlines for them. I, I thought personally, just because I love the city of Austin, that Coda was a big grab for NASCAR because it introduced us to a fan base that maybe hadn't tapped into stock car racing, you know, Coda is a track that's been there, but we've never raced there. So they've seen F1 there. They've seen MotoGP there. They seem, have seen IndyCar there. And it's such a cool, eclectic town that I think our presence in it was missing. And so I was thrilled when that got added to the schedule. And then personally, you know, I love Austin, but I had never been to Road America. I know, you know, obviously the Xfinity series had had raced at uh, Road America, but with the cup series being there for the first year, it allowed me to go there. And the crowd was phenomenal. It, it was, you know, midsummer, you had people, you know, that hadn't traveled in a long time, hadn't gotten to do anything in a long time. And just the energy there was unmatched. And so I got to check something off my bucket list uh, by getting to go to Road America since they brought the Cup Series there. All right, let's bring in Jason. Jason, you're in Bristol for the dirt race. It's already been announced that Bristol Dirt's coming back in 2022. Did you think it was a success in 21, despite the rain delays that we had there? I mean, I think you're going to have that anywhere you go with the rain delay. That's going to happen in any sport we do. So a little different when it comes to the, the dirt track world because the thing that we encountered, they sent trucks out to qualify, and it was so muddy, they couldn't clean the windshields off. So that's when you're putting a stock car on a dirt track it doesn't have the setup like you normally would have on a regular dirt race car that has the mesh or the chicken wire type 
of a uh, of a windshield. So that caused the issues there. But once we got that worked out and the rain worked out, I thought it was some really good racing. The trucks ran uh, perfectly there that Monday afternoon. And then you add to it the NASCAR Cup Series later on in the afternoon. The, the track, uh, you know, kind of worked its way through like it's supposed to in a normal dirt track race. Some people liked it, some didn't because it got a little too dusty and a little mm -hmm. too hard. So they may uh, make that adjustment here this year, but I thought it was a great, uh, I thought it was a fun, nice, and we keep going through the deal of what we keep talking about, putting new wrinkles in the schedule and make it more exciting for the fans and have some fun with it. I think that was one thing that definitely brought the excitement. And yeah. one other thing I'll say too, I was going to also say too, I echo on Kim's sentiments too, Road America was a great addition for the Cup Series. I've been up there several years now with the NASCAR Xfinity Series, but to have the Cup Series up there on the same weekend, the crowd was awesome. I mean, you couldn't put another person in that huge facility. But, you know, it was a festival. It was everything that NASCAR would hope it would be, and it was. It was some great racing, too. But when you factor that and you talk about Coda as well, having that back on, having it on the schedule, it adds a different flair. It's a different town. It's something different that keeps the, the drivers and the teams guessing because none of them had notes when we went to these racetracks like for Austin. So they had to be able to build their notebook and then add to it. You had rain. So that kind of kind of <laughs> spoiled a little bit of things for them as well, too. So I thought the additions plus having Nashville back, just having Nashville back. I was like excited to just get one race back there. I thought maybe we'd go back with the trucks, but when we go back with all three series, the run at the super speedway out there, uh, you know, they learned a lot of things because it was something new for them, which they'll correct for this year. And uh, talking with Eric, the track president there, that they, they will have it corrected when they go back when it comes to getting people in and out there a little bit better. But you couldn't have asked for much better racing. All three races at that track were great. And it's great to be back in the Music City. Kim, what do you think about NASCAR and its successes in bringing in these new tracks, new crowds, breaking up kind of the standard schedule that we've had for several years? I think absolutely. I think, you know, regardless of some competition hiccups that we saw at some of the new tracks we went to, whether it be, you know, rain or traffic issues and whatnot, just leaving that aside, that's something we can definitely work through. I think everything was a success in terms of brightening up the schedule, mixing it up, you know, for somebody that's worked in the sport for over a decade. And I know Jason and some of our other cohorts um, can double and triple that amount of time it really refreshed it from a work perspective. So I think it was great for the fans. Um, and I think it was great to bring in new fans, but I think it was also really good for the industry because we have been to some of these tracks so many times year after year. And that's not to say that the racing at the tracks we already had in the schedule wasn't good, but it, it breathed fresh air into the schedule for the people that have to work it. And I think you could hear it in our broadcast. You could hear, you know, the additional excitement when we when we got to go to Nashville and cover Coda Racing and Road America. You heard Jason and I both mention how energetic and vibrant it was at Road America. So I think not only did it help from a fan perspective, I think from an industry perspective, you know, all the people behind the scenes and the people in front of the mics, in front of the camera, it just kind of elevated the sport and made us, a little more excited than we would be normally. Let's loop in NASCAR Hall of Famer Rusty Wallace here. Rusty, I was going to ask you the same question I did, Kim, earlier. Is there one track that was added in 21 that stood out to you? Uh, Nashville kind of stands out to me. Nashville was another track that was full of enthusiasm. Everybody liked staying down the city of Nashville. They liked the atmosphere. The track was sold out. It was packed solid. I was there broadcasting with all you guys and got to watch everything. 
and uh, it was amazing. Another track where the cars were lined up for miles getting into the track with so much excitement to see a race there. That, that was something, you know. And then I did not broadcast the, the race in Coda in Texas, but I heard it was just a mob scene with people, and then it was a real test on the drivers. I mean, there was a lot of big crashes because of all the rain and the spray, and nobody could see, so that was a tough one. But I will tell you the one that I never thought was going to work but kind of did kind of work okay, I think, was the dirt race at Bristol. I mean, I looked at that and went, oh, man, there's no way this is going to happen. But as the race got going on, the drivers uh, embraced the track. They, they actually liked it. They, I didn't see hardly anybody saying, I hate this track. I can't wait, can't wait till I get out of here. They looked at, some, looked at it as it was something new and something cool and exciting, and they did it. And um, to see them put all that dirt down and then pull all that dirt back off and get right back at it, I mean, you got to hand it to those guys over there. They, they knew what they were doing, and it worked out real well. I've always been curious your thoughts on putting dirt on Bristol. That used to be one of your playgrounds. I oh, mean, man. It, hey, that, that, that was the holy ground, man. You couldn't mess with Bristol. I hated it. You know, when I heard they're going to put dirt on it, I'm like, oh, come on, man. Bristol is Bristol. You know, the big race, the night race, all this stuff. But they did. And, um, uh, but, hey, you look, the, everything changes so much in this sport. It's unreal. you got to be open-minded all the time. you got to be ready to grow. And even though I thought it was kind of a weird thing to do, uh, I was wrong. It worked out good. All right, I think that covers the new tracks that were added to the schedule and that we'll see again in 2022 when we come back. Let's talk about the return of the fans to the grandstands. Sir, are you aware you were going 40 miles an hour? This is a residential area. Sure, but I'm on my lawnmower. Wait, am I getting a ticket? No, I've just never seen anyone top nine miles an hour on one of those bad boys. And mow their entire lawn in 30 seconds? What got into you? Well, I did fuel up at Sunoco this morning. At Sunoco, we know how to fuel peak performance. We've been doing it for American Racing for over 50 years. Fuel your best. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. We continue with our top 10 stories of 2021. And, well, here's one that caught our attention. Let's talk about the fans returning. 2020 was a bizarre season. Some tracks had no fans. Some had minimal crowds. Then when we returned and we resumed in May at Darlington, no fans were allowed. And that was pretty much continued until 2021. Dave Moody, Kurt Becker, Steve Poster here to talk about the return of the fans. Let's start with you, Dave. Dave, what track were you at? when you saw fans again, and what was that like after such a long period of time without them? It was probably Nashville, wasn't it, guys? Where, you know, the first time where where people were just shoulder to shoulder and loving every minute of it. I've never seen a group of people happier about being caught in traffic than we were that weekend because it had been a long time since we had sat in traffic. And, And it was great to see. It, the, the atmosphere and the buzz, we'd missed it so much. And then we went to Road America on 4th of July weekend. And man, that was a happening. And if, if NASCAR moves that race off that weekend, 4th of July, Independence Day, at a track called Road America, they are nuts because that was an absolute party. It was a happening. Oh, and they had a pretty good race thrown in around the edges too. 
Yeah, Dave, you know, you mentioned that time window, and that's exactly what stands out to me. We went to Nashville, and it was electric. And yes, I understand it was a new race, a new venue, a new track. I get that. The one in between Nashville and Road America was Pocono. And Pocono was raucous. Pocono was just, of course, nobody camps and parties like they do at Pocono. I know Talladega has the reputation, but I am telling you, the folks in eastern Pennsylvania, they are right on par. And, and I remember Nashville being so excited and then following it right up with Pocono and that same energy, that same excitement of that dual race weekend we had up there and that full grandstand up in Pennsylvania. And then uh, I, I'm with you as well on Road America. Road America was absolutely crazy. And Dave, I'll, I'll go back to something you talked about. We were we were sitting in traffic. It was one of the joys of the pandemic was driving in and out of racetracks with no people there. I'm just being selfish here and saying for Steve Post life to be able to get out of a race, get out, get right on the interstate and go is great, okay? One of the things that we didn't realize until we got into this year was the racing was fine. The racing is 8 million times better with fans in the stands. The energy, the excitement, the passion, all of that was well worth the little bit of traffic we now have to deal with again. So, but it was funny those first few times of traffic, it's like, oh man, we got to, now we got to leave early. We got to do all of this. But then when you got there and that electricity and Kurt, I know, you know, going back to Road America, you were down in Canada Corner. And I know on our Q channel, you were talking about just the conversations that you were having because where you were situated there, you were in and amongst the fans. And I don't know who was more excited. You were more excited to see the fans back or they were more excited to be back at the racetrack. It was a fantastic atmosphere, Posty. And it was fun because uh, when the caution flag would come out, sometimes I would just take the headset off for a moment. And there were bleachers uh, right behind my broadcast location where I could turn around and just converse with the fans. And the enthusiasm was amazing. And then we go back under the green flag and Fans would, you know, they'd be positioned in lawn chairs in front of the bleachers and they'd jump up to their feet and knock the lawn chairs over and thrust their fist in the air and cheer as the drivers came through Canada Corner. It, it actually made me think back to when I started going to races many, many years ago with my brother and our friends. And, and it was it brought back memories of being able to actually converse and, and be a fan again as much as be a broadcaster in the sport. And, and the other thing that I have to mention regarding the, the fan experience Steve Post is someone that has tried and tried to drill this into my head. You need to get out and interact more with the fans. It's fun. And we were in Knoxville, Iowa for the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. And Postman said, instead of sitting around in the booth just waiting for the broadcast, come with me. We're going to go get something to eat. So we walked across the street to where the Marion County Cattlemen had their ribeye stand. It was the greatest ribeye sandwich I've ever had. And man, was that fun. And folks coming up and talking about who do you think is going to win tonight. It was a great atmosphere. Well, with the break from fans and how strange that was, do you think it was refreshing for teams and drivers in the industry to have fans again and maybe realize what a big part fans play on race day? I don't think there's any question about that. And, and, and Steve, you and I, as part of the, the Motor Racing Network North Carolina contingent, we didn't miss a race. I, I mean, we sat out for a while, but when when the sport restarted, being the guys that didn't have to get on an airplane to go to these races, we were back in the game immediately. So we didn't sit for very long. 
And I think maybe our perspective was a little bit skewed because not only did we go right back to the racetrack almost immediately, we went to Darlington five times in five days trying to get everybody back on track. And, and I think we lost track of the fact that our fan base sat home for a long time. Our fan base did not get to go, did not get to sit in the grandstands and eat the hot dog and drink the cold beer and root for their guy in person. And and when they came back, man, they came back with a fury, didn't they? I mean, they had really missed it. And they were more than happy to show everybody how thrilled they were to be back. One of the weirdest moments in my broadcasting career was that first race back at Martinsville. I had victory lane. Martin Truex Jr. won the race. And he gets out of the car. The TV crew is there. And it's silence because the other teams that come down pit road and shut everything off. And it's silence. And he jumps out of the car and it's like, well, there's no reason to cheer because I'm the only one screaming, you know? And he did the TV interview and then TV crew left, did the radio interview. And it is Martin and I standing out there on the front stretch. And he said, what do I do now? When I got done with the interview, I said, I have no idea. And the flagger says, here, get the flag. And they're going to look up at the flag stand. They're going to take a picture of you with the flag. And we did that. Fast forward, and this is this is to the partial grandstand last fall, and Martin Truex Jr. on the front stretch down there with a partial crew, and I think he might have even mentioned in Victory Line, man, this is not, or actually, you know what, I think it was the spring of this year. It was like, um, it was just a, a year ago we stood here with nobody around, now we've got a partial grandstand, and then when we went there in the fall, I mean, the place was just coming unglued uh, as, as, as that race ended, so the, the, the fans coming back, and, 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 and Kurt, it, it, it is one of those things, I think we, I, I think we did take it for granted, but I think there's no more of that, because uh, I think that, uh, and, and in fact, Kurt, you, you and I, we were all part of, even, uh, even as, as we start to move forward at Watkins Glen, we were part of, a, uh, of, a, of a, um, an event outside of the racetrack, out behind the Jackie Stewart uh, suites there, of uh, some of the interactive displays and everything. And I think that, that NASCAR is not taking it for granted, and they're putting a lot of energy back into putting energy, if you will, into that midway area and the entire fan experience. Steve, I remember thinking back to the, the summer of 2020, and uh, we, we went to the Kansas Speedway, and uh, there, were, there were no fans on site, and we did a doubleheader that day. And I can remember going back and regrouping with the crew after the first race, getting a bottle of water and, and uh, putting on some more sunscreen and all that kind of stuff. And we got word that Maurice Petty had passed away, one of the, one of the greatest figures in, in the history of the sport. And, and I remember thinking as, as I got in the car and drove back to the turn position outside of turn two, uh, it, was, it was a fairly somber moment. And I appreciated the fact that in that particular moment, that one was able to stop and, and just think in silence about Maurice Petty, what his contributions to the sport had been. But then climbing back up into the turn position, I remember looking around the track, and as the cars rolled off pit road to get the next race underway, I thought, man, we, we are really missing a significant element with nobody in the stands. And then when the fans started coming back, not only have they come back in large numbers, but the enthusiasm is, is incredible. And uh, we talked about Road America, and that was probably the spot where I had the most opportunity in 2021 to actually get a chance to speak with race fans on a race weekend. And I was amazed at how many folks I talked to that told me 
It was their first time to attend a NASCAR Cup Series race. And as we were walking out of there after the race, these folks were beaming. I mean, they were grinning from ear to ear. They were excitedly trading thoughts with one another about how the race had unfolded. And I'll guarantee you they're coming back. All right, gentlemen, thank you. I think everyone was excited to have fans back in full force. Coming up, we're going to move on to another news story. We discuss a big-name driver's struggle throughout 2021. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. We continue on this week's NASCAR Live. It seemed to be the year of Kevin Harvick in 2020. Denny Hamlin had a good year. Kevin Harvick had a good year despite neither winning the championship. But in 21, both struggled. Denny did win and ended up having success later in the season. Kevin Harvick never found his groove. Jeff Striegel and Alex Hayden here to uh, chat about where in the world Kevin Harvick was in 2021. You know, it's a good thing that Victory Lanes don't have milk cartons because Kevin Harvick's name would have been on one. Where in the world was Kevin Harvick? You go from nine wins in 20 to no wins in 21. Alex, what are your thoughts on nine wins to no wins in the span of 365 days? There, there's a lot that goes into this to, to think about for the Kevin Harvick, Rodney Childers in that group. And I'm going to start at the end of last year because, to your point, nine wins, the dominant team, they won the regular season championship. They did not even make the championship four a year ago. And that was, to me, the first real big dent in the side of the car, if you will. And then obviously uh, there are some rules changes and some way to tech race cars going a little bit differently. Stuart Haas racing as a whole lost some speed. And when you look at his numbers, speaking of Kevin Harvick's numbers here in 2021, what is it? One out of about every three races, he had a top five finish. Two out of about every three had a top 10 finish. And when you look at those numbers, just about anybody would gladly take those types of results. But coming off of the year that Kevin Harvick had a year ago uh, and only leading, what, 220-some-odd laps this entire season, 10 top five finishes, only a handful over 20 top 10 finishes, but no wins. To me, this was a decent season. But based off of the numbers in the Kevin Harvick-Rodney Childers era, this was, in my opinion, not good. Uh, and I think they'll be the first to stand up and tell you, we didn't perform the way we wanted to this year. Uh, sure, they got better. Sure, they had some speed towards the end. But this was not what anybody expected, myself included. Well, you, you used, I think you laid it out very well, Alex. They were consistently good. The problem is they're going up against people who are consistently very good. Kyle Larson, consistently very good, week in and week out. And unfortunately, at this level, the NASCAR Cup Series consistently good is not going to win you a championship. You're 100% right, Alex. They had a pretty darn good season. They never went to victory lane. And I think, Mike, uh, again, Alex touched on this, and I, I want to bring it back up, and that is looking at it from an organizational standpoint. When you look at what did Chase Briscoe accomplish as a rookie, uh, what did Cole Custer accomplish Coming back in his sophomore season, what did Eric Almarola accomplish, uh, who's been at this level for a long time? And then you bring Kevin Harvick into the equation. You got to look at that entire organization and go, okay, it's not just Kevin Harvick. Kevin Harvick didn't forget how to drive a race car. He didn't forget how to win. I think we can all agree that, and, and again, Alex, you touched on it. 
the dent in the side of the car. There, there's just, uh, there's some things there that they missed. I think hands down, it caught us all by surprise. Mike, you know, as well as anybody, when you're talking about Harvick a quarter of the way into the year without a win, then halfway in without a win, three quarters of the way in without a win, that, that just speaks volumes to uh, a major story of 2021. And I didn't have Eric Almarola, the only driver from Stuart Haas Racing, winning. And I think that, you know, I think there was some Ford challenge. I think there was some Stuart Haas Racing challenge. And Alex, you mentioned the way that the cars were teched. And that took a lot of, um, how can we say, wind out of some crew chief sails. And I think that the Ford team was largely impacted by that. These drivers and these crews, they're always looking for an advantage. It wasn't an illegal one. It was in the gray area. Well, the problem was NASCAR made that gray area black and white. And that is what I think led to the winning deficit that the four car had. That car may have run okay, but we saw without what they were getting, they were up to about 10th and maybe sometimes in the top seven, top five. Would you agree with that? 100%. Absolutely 100%. And and you're right. They weren't doing something illegal. They just found something that wasn't in the rule book that they exploited and used to their favor. Good for them. Every team out there is trying to do the exact same thing. However, I think once NASCAR said, okay, we're going to tech the cars a little bit differently, that took that bit of an advantage away from, from the four car and Kevin Harvick and Rodney Childers and Stuart Haas Racing for that matter. Then I think that showed us that all their eggs were in that one basket and they had to go to work and try to figure out how do we find eggs someplace else how can we get speed out of the car someplace else it's the easter egg hunt right uh so they they started to find speed from other places out there hence the reason the performance of the car started getting better and better throughout the year I think the other thing you got to look at, uh, we're talking about Stuart Haas racing here. And if they've lost all their eggs, you know what? There's an organization that I think can find them, Alex, and that would be Stuart Haas racing. They, they recognized long before we started talking about it on the air that they weren't where they wanted to be. Um, they know today uh, what they missed in 2021, and they probably have a pretty good game plan as to how to attack 2022. Although, Mike, of course, it will be with a brand new car. But, you know, it, I guess if I'm a Kevin Harvick and I've gone through a year without a win, I would sure like to have the organization of Stuart Haas behind me uh, as I get ready to go into 2022 because they will put their best foot forward. They will put their best effort forward. And I don't think we'll be having this conversation a year from now. That certainly was a very unharvick-like season and for Stewart House Racing as well. Coming up, we'll talk about first-time winners next. NASCAR Live is brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network. Blue Emu is family-owned and manufactured here in America. It works fast, and you won't stink. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Every season, we normally get a few first-time winners, but in 2021, it seemed like there was a lot more than normal, especially right from the get-go. Michael McDowell winning the Daytona 500. Dave, what did you make of that? First-time winners are always a surprise, obviously. 
but this one probably wasn't the biggest surprise ever. Uh, it wasn't a, it wasn't a Trevor Bain type of surprise because Michael McDowell has been really good on the big tracks for a number of years now. He's been he's been in the hunt with two or three laps to go more times than we can count. It's just never worked out for him. So so to see him roll the dice, make the right moves, get the break in traffic with a couple of laps to go that he needed to be in in front uh, when it became important to be in front wasn't all that big a surprise. We've known for a long long time that he's a really good big track racer. He's, he's one of the best, Dave. You're right at that style of racing. And so he puts himself in the right spot. And so you're right. I agree. It's, it's, it's no shocker that he did it. I was really happy that he did it in the Daytona 500. And, and, as, and as much for the team and everyone else, you know, Bob Jenkins, he's won before, um, you know, but to win the great American race, the Daytona 500, the biggest stage, and to set us off on what turned out to be a fantastic 2021 of racing, but to have Michael McDowell in that, to see the carryover effect that that had all year long. You know, Kurt, the, the, the beauty of a Daytona 500 win is, is that it didn't matter when we were at Pocono or when we were at Phoenix or wherever he was at, Michael McDowell forever will now be introduced as a Daytona 500 champion. You know, I, it, I think it really is a life-changing situation. I mean, uh, when, when one rolls onto the property on 500 morning, it, it kind of goes through everybody's mind that, Whoever wins this race, especially if someone hasn't won the 500 or if they've never won a cup race, period, their life is going to change with a victory in that event. And I, I think that the great thing for the sport is you look at Michael McDowell, you look at Christopher Bell, you look at Bubba Wallace, the first time Cup Series winners this year. Anytime we enter a season where we no longer have a presence on the track, such as Jimmy Johnson, a seven-time champion, you start looking down the road and wondering, okay, so, so who will the next group of winners, the next generation of winners be? And Michael McDowell's been in the sport for a while. I mean, he's, he's a journeyman driver, no question about it. But you think about Christopher Bell, you think about Bubba with a whole new team this year, I, I think that's terrific for the sport. Speaking of Christopher Bell, he won in race number two of the season on the Daytona Road Course the following week. Now, that was a big surprise. Dave, because most people were expecting Chase Elliott to scoop up that win. I had people before the season started saying with seven road courses on the schedule, there's a legitimate chance for Chase Elliott to win all seven. Well, it certainly didn't work out that way at the end of it all. I don't think any of us, at the risk of repeating myself, I don't think any of us were all that surprised to see Christopher Bell win a race this year. I didn't necessarily expect it to be on the Daytona road course. There would have been a number of tracks where I would have ranked him a, a, more of a threat for victory lane than there. But he got the job done. He got that first win out of the way. And I don't think any of us doubt, Postman, that that'll be the first of many for C-Bell. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, had the uh, the luxury or the, the the pleasure of victory lane, and there was a little look of disbelief in his face when he climbed out of that race car that he had won at the road course. But then as I've had a chance to talk to Christopher after that, uh, he's gone to a lot of time, a lot of energy, and, and, and talking to Adam Stevens, his crew chief, uh, Christopher Bell has really honed his skills and really worked hard on road courses. And so he was able to pick up that win. And, 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 and I just love the fact we started the season with the first First two weeks with first winner, first time winners. I thought that was neat, but but Kurt, when you when you look at it, you, you remember we've we've all been covering this sport forever. Remember when there was the token road course at Watkins Glen and Sonoma, and nobody put any energy on it. The strategy was to stay on the asphalt. That's no longer the case. And Christopher Bell winning on a road course, while it might have been a little bit of a surprise, 
these young drivers are so well-schooled in road course racing. Well, they, they are. And it's been fun to see that as, as the comfort level has risen with road course racing, the way that the drivers are attacking the road courses. I, I think that all of us in this group are old enough to remember the days of, of racing at Riverside. And it was always fascinating to see how guys like Richard Petty would just attack, attack, attack that course. I mean, they would sling that car all over the place, on the course, off the course. And then, as you said, Steve, that kind of went away. Then there was kind of more of a, almost a technical aspect of driving a road course. Well, now it seems like a lot of drivers are getting back, Dave, to the point where they're, they're willing to go out and attack the course and make things happen. That's right. And I, I think the attitude has changed too. 15 or 20 years ago, road course racing for a lot of these drivers was something, okay, you know, I'm not very good at it. I don't like it, but it's not that big a deal. It's only two races a year. So I'll go out there and just stay on the road and get a nice solid top 12 or 15 finish. And then we'll get back to the real racing, the quote unquote real racing next week. You can't take that approach anymore. As competitive as the cup series is now, you can't just be okay for even two weeks out of the schedule, much less seven. So these guys have had to get really serious about road racing. One of the biggest moments for a first-time winner was Bubba Wallace getting to victory lane in the fall race at Talladega. Posty, you were there for that day, and you've been around Bubba for a long time. What was that moment like? Yeah, I've had one of the best seats in the sport for years and years. For the last 24 years, I've been the, the, the track announcer at Charlotte for the summer shootout, and I remember when that little kid Bubba Wallace came in there and, you know, I, I, I laugh about Bubba because one of the things he did during rain delays a couple of years ago was him and Corey LaJoy tossing the football. They were in the, they, when, when they were seven and eight years old, they were tossing a football around in the, in the pit area, their dads and, and folks are chasing them around trying to get them in the race cars. So Bubba is one of those guys that I just watched grew up and loved his attitude, loved his passion for the sport and just absolutely. And, and, and loved and respected his talent and his ability. So for him to finally be able to check that off, he had a lot of success in the truck series and to get that opportunity with a new team and then to be able to do it down at Talladega was a special moment for me, you know, selfishly uh, in victory lane, the very first thing he said to me before we even did the interview, he comes over, he shakes my hand. He says, summer shootout, baby. And so it was just so neat. So special to see Bubba win it. And, and, and Dave from the, from the perspective of a new team and from the perspective of, 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 of Bubba's background and, 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 and being the first African-American winner since, since uh, Wendell Scott so many years ago, it sent shockwaves through the sport when Bubba won that day at Talladega. Really did. And, and unfortunately for him, the usual gang of rain-shortened wins don't really count negative <laughs> negativity came out and posty you and i were there i mean we're all there so we can all testify to this that rainstorm didn't catch anybody by surprise we saw that thing forming up out over the top of turn one about a half hour before it hit there was nobody in the place that thought that we were going to the finish of that race the scheduled finish of that race every crew chief every spotter told every driver get on it jack because we're going to be raining pretty soon bubba wallace got to the front better than anybody else faster than anybody else and made some amazing moves to hold off some pretty determined cats behind them. So the whole, it doesn't count because it was rain shortened. That doesn't fly a bit in my book. Thank you, gentlemen. Coming up, we talk about some of the feuds that we saw in 2021. Today's broadcast is brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network.
This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Obviously, with athletes in competition for 10 straight months, there's going to be moments where feathers get ruffled. We had a little bit of that through 2021, most notably with Kevin Harvick and Chase Elliott. Let's bring Kim Kuhn back into the conversation here. Kim, what was your reaction when Chase told Harvick to have a merry offseason after the Charlotte Roval race? My first thought was they better be printing those on cards to sell. Um, I think they did end up kind of turning that into some sort of merchandise. I think maybe they made shirts or sweaters, but I was like, that is so perfect. I laughed so hard, mainly because it gave us a little more personality from Chase Elliott that we don't always get. He's very buttoned up usually, um, doesn't always tend to show a ton of emotion outside of being very down on himself when he feels like he underperforms. So for him to get a little bit spicy, to be uh, a little bit uh, edgier, throw some fisticuffs, I was absolutely <laughs> here for it. And again, might have to steal the phrase for my Christmas cards this year. <laughs> so the traditionalist in me and the traditionalist of NASCAR will tell you they love the feuds. And that's something we've been missing over the last handful of years. You go back over the years with, you know, with Earnhardt, basically, Earnhardt and Rusty or Earnhardt. It was always Earnhardt at the center of a lot of things, but it was the rivalries that started coming from that, which were great. And this builds a great rivalry. And I guess Kevin says it's not complete. They still got 2022 to go into. It gives some more excitement uh, that uh, NASCAR, I think has been lacking a little bit when you get the personalities. I know Kim, you talked about the fact of having Chase open it up. It allows the personalities to come out that we used to have in this sport in its heyday. And I know we have a new generation that we, we have to work with, and we have the older generation that we don't want to lose. So you can find a happy medium in there. And, of course, I like the fact that it's playing out at the racetrack and not just on social media all the time. So, you know, you look at it with Chase and with, with uh, Kevin there. You look on the other side of it with uh, Denny Hamlin and, and Bowman and the hack. Yeah. The T-shirts look great, too. So. <laughs> I loved that feud. I told people, and I think I tweeted it too, watching the Hamlin-Bowman feud felt like I was watching the movie Cars because they were essentially like battling in their cars post-race and I got such a kick out of it. And and it's all in ultimately good fun as long as we're not hurting anybody. Um, I think a good old-fashioned rivalry is always what elevates the sport and we could use more of them. You mentioned Denny Hamlin and Alex Bowman. Pretty much Denny Hamlin and everybody, it seemed, had run-ins with a lot of folks. Jason, do you think it's good for NASCAR to have feuds? It's great, I think, to have feuds. If they don't get ridiculous and hurt other drivers or whatever, it is great to have because it gets people talking about it. You know, you race on Sunday, they're talking about it on Monday, continuing to talk about it on Wednesday, and then when you get back to the track on Friday for practice or Saturday qualifying or whatever, it's still continuing the conversation throughout the week. The fan bases love it. I mean, that's the thing. I think that's what the fan bases have been hurting a little bit is not having the feuds to be able to, to kind of play off of with your best friend. You know, it's like you talk about the NFL. It was the New England Patriots and everybody else. Everybody, you know, didn't like the Patriots because they won so much, but they always got ragged on or whatever. You really haven't had that much lately here in having the aspects of having that, that true rivalry built up. So I love it. I think it's great. You look at other sports, look at dirt racing, how popular dirt racing is. The rivalries that are in there between some of those drivers are just awesome to see. And they make for great, great fodder for the rest of the week to talk about with the fans and the announcers. And you have some drama going into the next race. And we saw it there at Charlotte with Kevin and with, uh, with uh, Chase He's almost going to catch him. What's he going to do? You know, it's that drama built into it. So I, I love the fact that it's back. 
Well, let me ask you this. Several of the feuds came during the playoffs. You think that the playoff format leads to more feuds and disagreements? I think it's great. I think it adds a little more to the drama. You go in each race, knowing that, hey, you've got the championship race, for example. You know, you got four drivers that are battling for the title, but yet you know you got somebody behind you that still wants to give you a little payback from earlier in the year, too. So you got to watch out for that. It just adds to the storylines. I think it's great. You know, with the playoffs, incorporating that into it, it just all works well together. And I think that I think the playoff format, um, even before the playoffs start, the way we determine who makes the playoffs has also lent itself to some feuds and some rivalries because ultimately it it very much is win and get in. Yes, you you occasionally have a circumstance where if you have you know more winners and there are spots, it could come down to, to points for the uh, um, other final spots, but you know guys as the season the regular season winds down as we get closer and closer to that final regular season race they they get on the chip they're on edge and i I think that too um is a product of just the what we have done in nascar in terms of determining the playoffs and then the playoff format itself thank you jason thank you kim as always we've got more coming up this is nascar live Now, back to Mike Bagley. We're about to head for the exits on this week's NASCAR Live. We covered a lot of topics today, and that's only half of the biggest stories from 2021. Next week, we do a deeper dive into the headlines and talk about everything from next gen to Kyle Larson's dominance. I don't think anybody saw the kind of year that we saw with Kyle Larson. I don't think anybody expected it. Uh, I think we all recognized that he had the talent to be able to win races. I don't think anybody saw 10 races coming. As the year got going, uh, it became pretty evident that he is really, really tough and that maybe this was going to be his magical year. And when it was all said and done, it was. I mean, what a great find for Hendrick. And again, no big surprise that he was going to be one of the top guys every single week. Well, I can tell you this. I've never gone into a season knowing less about what to expect than I know right now. I don't have a clue who's going to be good. I don't have a clue who's going to be bad. I don't have any idea who's going to figure it out fast versus not so fast. And the neat part about it is I'm not alone. Nobody else knows either. Well, what I've seen so far, I like. I'm a big uh, uh, proponent of the single lug nut. I've always liked that idea. Uh, Bigger brakes, something that needed to happen in NASCAR for a long, long time. They got a bigger wheel now. They got one lug nut on there. Independent rear suspension is something that was a big reach, in my opinion, for NASCAR to do. And for Brad Keselowski to to want to take on an ownership stake, to me, I look at this in a couple of different ways. Number one, for Brad, it shows that he's a shrewd businessman. Not only is he going to continue his driving career, but he's going to try to start making money and earning money uh, to, to start setting himself up for when he hangs up the driving helmet. Him over at Penske, he did such a great job. But boy, I tell you what, he is a guy that really wants to grow things. I mean, even with his truck team he had a long time ago, he shuts it down, then he builds a, a brand new machine shop over there, and he's, I'm going to miss Chip Ganassi. He's a great friend of mine, uh, just a super smart when it comes to racing and business and everything, and I think that he watched what was going on in the sport. He saw all the new, new changes that were going to happen, uh, the money he was going to have to spend on the new cars, and... Tune in to hear all that and more 
And that will put a wrap on this week's show. I'd like to thank the voices that you heard join me on this show. Dave Moody, Steve Post, Kurt Becker, Rusty Wallace, Jeff Striegel, and Alex Hayden. And for the rest of the MRN crew, I'm Mike Bagley. We thank you for tuning in as well. Can't wait to talk to you again next week right here on NASCAR Live. Until then, so long, everybody. NASCAR Live is a production of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina, and was brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network. Blue Emu is family-owned and manufactured here in America. It works fast, and you won't stink. Today's broadcast was produced by Alexa Henrian and Julian Council. The executive producer for MRN is Ryan Horn. Remember to visit MRN.com for all of the latest news and information. NASCAR Live is produced under an exclusive license with NASCAR. Any use of the accounts or descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network. Ruoff Mortgage wants to welcome you home with their fast and stress-free mortgage process. Ruoff knows that when you're ready to move, you want to keep things moving. From the moment you start, Ruoff makes sure the process moves quickly, often twice as fast as other lenders, so you can close quickly and settle in sooner. Visit Ruoff.com to learn how you can qualify for the fastest loan of your life. That's Ruoff, R-U-O-F-F.com.